Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Bible, please turn with me to Nehemiah 11. Nehemiah 11. I'm just going to be reading um, the first two verses, and uh, the rest of the, the passage is loads and loads of names. And I'll be interested to know if we were all to prepare this sermon, how you can preach the rest of it. It's loads and loads of names, but those names are really important in the kingdom of God. But it says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while none out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. The interesting thing is now we come to a place, for those who have been away for a while, we come to a place where the city is not being structured in terms of its build, its, the building project has been completed. Everything, the walls have been built, the temple has been restored, the palace has been restored. Everything that needs to be restored has now been fully restored. In terms of the structure, the physical structure of the city has now been fully restored. But picking up, at least from chapter 7 onwards, we're beginning to see not only the physical building, the structure of the city, the walls being restored, but now people's lives being restored. The spiritual aspect of the city is now being restored. God is restoring not just the building, not just the city, not just all that we could see around us, but He's restoring people's hearts. And I believe even this morning when we gather like this, God is still in that process of restoring people's hearts. He is the God who takes your heart, which is a broken heart, and He restores it and makes it into a beautiful, beautiful heart that can give glory to God. And He is in that project now. The project of physical structure is done, but now the project of mending the hearts restoring the people, bringing them back to God, the word of God being preached in such a way that people will respond to him. Now we've come to that time where even Nehemiah and his name is not mentioned much. It's all about the people. Now it's come to a place where it's a corporate response as people hear the word of God. But the interesting thing as you read this passage is that one of the things it talks about here, it doesn't just mention Jerusalem, although before it used to talk about this city called Jerusalem, something has changed. What has changed? It now begins to talk about Jerusalem as a holy city. If you read verse 1, it says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. Jerusalem is now the holy city. Jerusalem is beginning to find its identity. Now God is not only restoring Jerusalem, He is bringing the identity of the city of God. Let me ask you, do you know that most, if not all, cities have identity? Did you know that? Let me say this. If you are from India here, you will know that Mumbai is the financial city of India. Is that right? 
All right. I don't know about the Philippines, which is the financial city of the Philippines. Manila is the financial city. So Manila has its own identity. Mumbai has its own identity. I'm not saying Bombay, so don't punch me after this. Mumbai has its own identity as a financial city. What about France? Paris. The romantic city, isn't it? Sorry. Fashion. Fashion and... Yeah. Also fashion. But also it's a romantic city as well. But it's also a city of fashion. So people know when you go to, to France, you're either going to go and shop or you're going for your honeymoon. I don't know. People from Europe don't go to France for their honeymoon. Not a, not a lot of people. But people maybe from the east go to to, to Paris for their honeymoon. But if you are coming from the West, you probably go to the East for your honeymoon because uh, the East is beautiful. I'm sure people from the East can agree with that. So every city seems to have its own identity. You have a, a, a city of that, that is romantic, that looks romantic, where people can go. You have a city of fashion. You have a city of, where is the financial hub, like New York, like London, and like Mumbai, and many other places. What about this city called Jerusalem? Jerusalem was a city of God. Jerusalem was a holy city. Jerusalem was a city of worship. Not like it is right now, because now it has become a religious city rather than just a holy city. What's the difference? All the different religions believe that this is their special city, and they go there, and they worship God there. But it was a special holy city. Do you know why? Because in Jerusalem, God was there. Okay? And let me say this, something is only holy if God is there. Not because it's just been given some kind of identity of a holy place, a holy land, a holy people. The people are only holy if God is upon them. The church is only holy if God is with, with us. The city of God was holy because God had come to be among the people. And this is what he says in Isaiah 2, that this wasn't just going to be a city. It was going to be a very special city where the whole world will come to know God. Isaiah says, the words that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, Isaiah 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. Which mountain is that? He's talking about Jerusalem as the highest of the mountains. But we know that this is about the future city as well. And shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Why are the nations flowing? Because God is there. All the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come to say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. The God of Jacob. That he may teach us his ways. And that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. 
let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is a place that is known to be the most exalted place, the most exalted city in the whole world, where not only the people of God, Israel, will go to to worship God, but is a place where the nations of the world will go to meet with the living God. The interesting thing is the city of God, Jerusalem, known as the city where people go, it wasn't just people going there to find out more about God. It was a city where people will go and their lives will be transformed. If you went there and you were out of sorts with someone sitting next to you and you go to Jerusalem, the weight of the holiness of God will so overcome you in such a way that bitterness and grudges and all the things that you've been carrying in your heart will fall by the wayside and you are able to reconcile and forgive your brother. You know why? Because this is a city of reconciliation where people turn their swords into plowshares. This is a city of peace. This was a city of light because darkness had come over the face of the earth because of the fall. And this city was a city that offered hope for people who did not have hope. This was what Jerusalem was to be known for. But there's a new Jerusalem that God is beginning to bring together. And that Jerusalem is not a physical structure. It's not a physical building. It doesn't have walls anymore. This beautiful people is called the church. The church has become the new Jerusalem, a place where God comes and dwells with his people. The interesting thing is that if God is dwelling in the church, the church should become at least the light and the hope for all the world. The interesting thing that I find is that a lot of us go outside of the church to look for hope and to look for vision. Where vision, hope, and eternity is found when we are in the city of God, among the people of God. Some of the big decisions that you are currently about to make in your life right now, let me say this, the best place to make them is within the purposes of God, right in the house of God, in the holy city of God, in the church. That's where big, great, awesome decisions are made because you consult not with people outside, but with people in the church. Also, the church is a place where when you are not having a good relationship with others, you don't move away from it. You come closer to it. Because it's a place where things get sorted out. It's a place where relationships get built. It's a place where animosity is, goes. And we build a strong relationship with one another. But has the church been like that? Has the church been a place where we meet with God? God wants to restore the church. Back to a, as a place, not where people go. He wants to restore his people. Not just as a people who come or Sunday, Friday goers, but people who are going to meet with God every day. And I hope that the church is not a Friday thing, but the church is also a midweek thing. And I just want to, I know that God wants to do that among us. God wants to build a family that's going to encounter him on a daily basis, not just on a special day. And I believe God can do that. Just a few stories, because I believe God wants to do that. He's beginning to move among us in a powerful way. During the summer, 
I uh, felt God speak to me that I should go and visit Colin. Where is Colin? Is he here? He's not here. He's flying, probably. But Wendy's here. Wendy wasn't there <coughs> when I went to visit Colin. I felt God speak to me and say, contact Colin and go and pray with him. That's what God said. And I wanted to be obedient. So I contact Colin. I say, Colin, I'm in the meeting now. Do you have time? I have an, I'm on my way to another meeting. Do you have time to meet in between? Because I'm going to Javza to meet. Uh, was it Javza? To meet with, um, with Harold. Davza to, to have a meeting with Harold and Gideon. And uh, I said, I just need even, even if you have 30 minutes, he said, oh, at 1.30, I need to go to the airport because I'm flying, but uh, I have half an hour, come. And, uh, and I arrived there. And there was Colin. He was busy um, training or just reading and studying for his sim. And I uh, sat down with him. Today, so good to see you. It's been a while. So we got talking. It got it gets to that moment. So what can I do for you? No, he didn't say that. But it was that moment where I said to him, God said I must come and pray with you. And uh, he looked at me and tears that falling down his eyes. He won't admit it. But <laughs> I'm kidding. And he started we I said, What's wrong? He said, God really spoke to you because this is the day that my, my brother died a few years ago. Five years ago today, my brother died. God sent you to come to me and pray with me today. I just put my arms around him and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for other people in the church as well. And uh, that's what I feel of this season coming. That God wants me to go and pray with men in the church and just spend time with them and pray with them. And this was one of them. And as we were praying, I just could see that the power of God just came just so powerfully um, upon us. Because why? Because wherever we are, that place is holy. The city of God, wherever we are, we make the place holy. And we ministered. We prayed for Wendy. She was studying in South Africa. We prayed for her studies and, and all that. We just really pray. And I just want to encourage us as a church, let's be a praying people. Sometimes we let's speak less and pray more because I feel God wants to speak to us as we pray. The other thing that um, over the summer that's happened as well, this is not a report for those who've been away. <clears throat> Something that's happened is that, where is Dr. Mealy? Dr. Mealy, you were seated over there. I remember last time when I, I singled you out and I prayed for you and I said to, to everyone, you are now having difficulties with your job. Let's stretch out our hands and let's pray for you. And we prayed for you. And we believed that God was going to do something powerful. And uh, I didn't hear much after that. I think you sent me a message to say thank you for praying for me. Last week, last Friday, I, I saw you and you said, uh, have you heard the news? I said, what news? God has provided the most excellent job. And even just how visas came, it was a miracle. You'll testify about that at the right time. I feel like I've stolen your thunder. But do you want to do that? All right, why don't you come and do that? Come on. <clears throat> um, Santosh? Oh, you've got a big voice. Okay, that's fine. Uh, 
at one point, I, I have a lot of patience, not because I'm good, but just because of the glory of God. Mm. However, that does generate a lot of jealousy and envy, and there was a lot of backstabbing, and I just felt I couldn't carry on there. So I handed in my resignation. I woke up one morning, I just went and said, I've resigned. And the management, they didn't want me to go. They called me to several meetings, including the biggest boss that oversees the hospital. He had about three meetings with me, say, we have X number of hospitals. Choose one, just go there. Please don't go. We'll give you a pay rise. Don't go. I said, okay. Meanwhile, there was another hospital which was just starting, King's College. They, they said to me, can you come and work for us? So I said, yeah. So I went there, said, I'll take your job. And I got back. So my, my hospital where I was working, they didn't like it. They said, okay, well, don't go there, don't. You won't get patients. It's, it's being sold, it's, it's not good, don't go. So I said, okay. So I went back to UK came back and I decided I would go to King's College Hospital. And I was told your registration wouldn't happen for about four or six months. You, you just sit around, you don't do anything, which is true. Anybody who is a doctor here knows that when you change your registration, your licensing takes about three months. So I canceled my license, they took my passport off me, they took my Emirate ID card, they took everything. And I went to the new hospital, they said, oh, just put her on the payroll, we'll pay her until we get her license through. So within 24 hours, somebody phoned me, she said, oh, I'd like to see you. I said, no, I'm not working at the moment, so you can't see me. So she said, where are you now? I said, I'm in this new place. Then in the evening, she texted me and said, can I have your reference number, please? I WhatsApp it to her, and around midday the next day, she said, can you please resubmit your application? Within three hours, I got my license. <laughs> and not just that, within four days, I've got my Emirate ID card back, not just that, the new hospital where I went, they didn't have, I'm a breast surgeon. They don't have any breast service. They said, okay, we'll take down this part of the hospital. You redesign the breast unit the way you want. And at this point in time, they've completely demolished it, rebuilt it, just put in finishing touches within a week. So do trust God. He does work in his own way. I knew she was going to say it better than me, so it was good. Isn't that what happens when worship arises in a place, when we trust in God and we believe? I believe this is a place where worship, in worship, God will begin to do something amazing because this is a holy city. This is where the people of God dwell. And just one, one more um, testimony. Where's Vishesh? He was just waving. Okay. Vishesh and... Uh, and his family. For a while, he, he couldn't go to India because of some complications with his company and business, etc. They'd taken his passport, and I'm sure you've had this, some of you have had the story. We came, I felt that morning during worship, God say, would you trust me if I ask you to do something 
crazy this morning. I said, yes, of course I trust you, Lord. And they said, sir, form a, do you remember, a tunnel. So we were, for those who were not here, you missed the tunnel. The anointing that was in that tunnel was amazing. So we formed a tunnel right across this hall. And uh, he and his family went through the tunnel. And we laid hands and prayed for them. And out the other side. And, uh, and we just trusted God and said, God, you will come through and do the amazing things. Right now, he cannot go anywhere. He hasn't gone away for five years or I don't know. You guys will correct me. Four years. And he's not allowed to leave the country, etc. A week later, I was boarding a, a plane on my way to the Philippines. I get a message to say, passport is back. He's just about to get on the plane. And he's about to go. The, the government has given it back to him. And things have changed. And since then, I believe God has been doing some amazing things. This is a house of prayer, is a place of worship. And I believe that even in the coming days and months and years, God is going to do something amazing here. Because I believe that the church should not be just about, it's not about, it's, and when I say worship, I'm not talking about singing songs. Although the songs are good because they help us to engage with God, to, to articulate some of the things we want to say to God. <laughs> a prayer, when I say worship, I'm talking about a life that's wholly devoted to God. A worship means that God, when you come before Him, even our sins are taken away. Even some of the things that we are holding on to that are not of Him go away. And that happens when we come to the presence of God and we are wholly devoted to Him alone. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to do it among us. He wants to do it. He wants to continue to do it in our midst. And even as we come now, I hope that, um, as someone once said, that... <coughs> Revival might actually happen during a coffee break. Do you believe that? That revival is not just about that moment in worship where the atmosphere is just so amazing that we can do nothing but abandon ourselves to the purposes of God. Revival might happen even during coffee. Why? Because people of God, the people of God are ready 24-7 to engage with God and they are so available for him to use them. The question is, are you in that place? Are we available? I'm longing for a time and a day when, even after our meeting like this, as we go outside, all of a sudden when people are having trouble, I see people gather around them and pray for them. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes there. That it doesn't have to be in an organized way. But we are to trust God all the time. Because here... The new Jerusalem, the new people of God, the new the church, the holy city is where God is going to do the most amazing things. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. And I just want us to trust God for that. I hope that it will create an atmosphere that has never been seen before. An atmosphere of worship. An atmosphere of encounter. That it never will be. You will never be satisfied just to come to church and to sing a few songs and to go home. But you will be satisfied only if you can meet with God, and you'll abandon everything else. We live in the world of destruction, of cell phone, and this and that. 
We live in the world that's bombarding us with all kinds of things that you will abandon everything else and say, Lord, it is you alone I seek today and come and meet with me. And as God meets with you, become a blessing to others as well. I believe God wants to raise that church because only that kind of church will impact this city. A church that is so genuine. A church where people are willing to repent from their sins and say, I cannot bear this anymore. This is too much for me. This is not from God. Light and darkness do not come together. I cannot do this anymore. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to submit to the will of God. I'm hoping that we can be that people when we come before God. The other thing that we pick up from this passage is not just worship, but also it's leadership. It says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. There wasn't just worship in Jerusalem, but there was also leadership. God was beginning to do things in such a way that leadership was to be seen in Jerusalem. Remember, even at the time where there was no king, God always established leadership in, among his people. Leadership is very important in the church. Let me say that again. Leadership is very important in the church. Some of you are coming back from a time, a break. You've been, you, you've been able to relax. But I feel God wants to say, I want you to hit the ground running. I'm calling you not into what was, but what is to be. I'm calling you into a, an area that you never thought you would be qualified for, which is an area of leadership. And some of you have for a long time, when you've been called to come, hey, we see something in you. Oh, no, I don't see it in me, so I wouldn't rise to the task. Oh, uh, this is not the right time. I feel this is a season where God is going to raise leaders in our midst. I'm saying that because I think we've been, I've been so surprised over the last while just seeing how many leaders have come through. City group leaders have just really emerged. There have been so many city group leaders that I've seen over the last year or so. The other thing that I've seen also um, over the summer, sorry, I keep referring to the summer. Over the summer, I've, I've been so amazed by the number of people who've participated and led meetings and preached and did the most amazing. I think we should actually applaud those who carried weight in the church over the summer. Because I think some of you, are <clears throat> I don't, it was amazing to see Andre when you led the meeting. Just in the most amazing time where God really came and met with us, wasn't it? And uh, I don't know if you doubted yourself before you did it, but actually God was in you and we saw something in you and we want to see that grow and mature in this church. Reynard, when you led the meeting, it was amazing to see you do what you did. Frank and um, Epen uh, said to, to me, Frank carried the, uh, the church during the summer. You excelled. Where is Lijo? Lijo, wasn't he brilliant in his preaching of the word? And, and I just want to say, I want to recognize another Santosh. When you led the meeting, man, it was the first of many now, you know, when you led the meeting. Wasn't, that's when we did the, the Congo. It was an amazing time. You just, um, you just amazed us in the way that you stepped out and you led so well. God is raising up leaders in our midst. And it's time for us to begin to recognize those that God is raising among us. But a few things that I want to draw from here. The first thing is this, 
that as God was raising leaders, they cast lot to determine who was supposed to go to Jerusalem from the towns. Have you ever played dice? That's what they did. And the lot falls on Patrick. Patrick, you're supposed to be a leader. That's very interesting, isn't it? Because we don't make decisions like that. That can't be God. But when you read this passage, it says, The Lord is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The first thing that we need to understand about leadership is that leadership is part of the sovereignty of God. God is the one who appoints leaders in his sovereign power. If it went for God, some of us will not have made it into leadership. Because Paul even reminds some of us that before you came to Christ, you were nothing. You were not of noble birth. You were nothing. But God has been able to raise you up into a place of leadership. And some of you, you are already disqualifying yourself and saying, if you knew my background, if you knew my story, if you knew what I've done, I want to say this. God is the one who handpicks leaders. And he, if he has chosen you, and the good thing about the church is that we don't cast law, because with law, it sounds like luck, right? But interesting that even when it feels like that, God is the one who's choosing leaders. But in the church, God gives us the wisdom and discernment to handpick leaders and to begin to go around and see who God has called. And God does in the crowd, he does handpick you. Hey, Marcus. Marcus knows why I'm saying this, because he was seated where Chris is, is seated now. And uh, he was thinking about whatever he was thinking about. And uh, God spoke to me about him and uh, started speaking over his life. And he said to me, I looked around and I've, I tried to work out if there were other Marcuses in this church. And then I realized the finger was directed to me. And then I knew that God was speaking. And uh, it's been amazing to see how Marcus is really coming through. God is beginning to speak to him. He's rising. He's recognizing things that God would do in his life. And I just want to say this. It's the sovereignty of God. The way God chooses leaders, we cannot do it. If it went for God, I, probably, I wouldn't be standing where I am right now. And God is the one who handpicks you. Do not harden your heart. Do not pull your arm. Do not hold back. Step out as God calls you into leadership. Because we are entering a season of strong, good, biblical leadership. Where people, men and women, God is going to call you out into greater things. Christina, you came forward the other week just to share a little bit about um, the chess competition and everything. And uh, Emily said, wasn't that amazing? The clarity of your everything you said, how you did it, it was really, really amazing. And God's hand is upon you because he wants to recognize you for more that he has in store for you in this church. I just want to say that that we begin to recognize leaders, we begin to get recognized people as God enables them to do, and it's the sovereignty of God. What about David? How was David recognized? He was the least of the people of God. He was the least of the sons of Jesse. He was nothing. And even when the prophet came to Jesse's house, David was not even considered from the least to the greatest king of Israel. What about Moses? 
Moses could not speak. He disqualified himself many times over. But God had a plan that he was the one to lead the people of God. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah said, I'm too young. He made a couple of excuses. He says, I cannot speak. God wanted to recognize Jeremiah for all that he had for him. What about you? It takes the sovereignty of God to recognize leaders. The second thing that we pick up from this passage was that there was sacrifice. The people of God went just called one out of ten to go because a lot was cast and then they were able to um, come forward. They had to leave their towns, abandon everything they've ever known, and go to Jerusalem from their towns. There was sacrifice involved in leadership. And let me say this. As God calls you, sometimes there are things that you have to abandon. There are things that you have to let go of. There are some sacrifices and adjustments that we have to make in order to embrace the purposes of God. But Jesus says that those who've left their mothers, their fathers, their relatives, and everyone, for my name, will inherit the kingdom. They had to leave their families. They had to leave everyone else so that they can go to Jerusalem and be part of the leadership structure there. Sometimes when God calls you, he wants to do away with certain things in your life. Would you allow him to do that? Would you allow him to strip you off of some of the things? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's character. Maybe other things. Maybe it's a sacrifice that is bigger than that. God wants to speak to you. The third thing is that they were willing it, was, it says those who were willing to go, they were released. Is there a willingness to embrace all that God is calling you to do? Every leader in the world has to have an Isaiah 6 moment. What is an Isaiah 6 moment? It doesn't matter what God says over you. It doesn't matter the prophetic words you've received. It doesn't matter all that has been spoken over you. There has to be an Isaiah 6 moment. Here am I, send me. There has to be a response and a willingness to embrace the task as God calls you to lead. My Isaiah moment was a time when we had a conference in South Africa, in our local church. And during this conference... I remember this, the last day of the conference, everyone came together. It wasn't just those who were coming to the conference. It was also the people who were part of the church. So everyone came together. It was a big crowd. And I, that morning, I woke up thinking, I'm just going to church. It was called Come to the River. It was a spirit-filled time where people will come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I woke up that morning thinking, I'm just going to church. And when I arrived, I found out that the person who was supposed to lead the meeting that morning could not speak. They had a, a problem with their voice. And that person was Steve Oliver. He just couldn't say a thing. And I remember him saying, Fusi, can I ask you to lead the meeting today? It's the last thing you want, to be, you want to be asked to do because firstly, it's a conference, not just uh, five people or ten people. We're talking hundreds of people. And secondly, you were not prepared I don't know how many of you say that. I didn't prepare myself well. But that was my Isaiah moment. I could have said, oh, look, there are other elders here who can do it. Um, if you had told me a day or two before, I would have prepared myself. If this, if, 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 if. But God was speaking to me through a man. I really don't know why he couldn't speak that morning. But all I knew is that I could 
and God wanted me to lead the meeting. And it didn't I have butterflies. They were like there. I was really scared. I was really, really scared. You know why? I stepped up. I forgot myself for a bit. And I went and led the meeting. Don't, don't ask me how it went. But God was kick-starting something in my life. And from then on, I never looked back. And my question is, are you willing to be used by God? What are the distractions and the things in your life that are hindering you from saying yes to God? And I believe in God, we should always say yes. We don't cast lot. It's not a gamble. But even in God's gambling, don't quote me theologically on this. Even in God's gambling, casting off lots, God still is the one who makes the decision. And if he's called you into leadership, he will see you through. Are you weak? Paul was weak. And he says, my grace, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And my, for my power is made perfect in your weaknesses. When I'm weak, I am strong because God is with me. When we build this holy city, God wants leaders to rise. It's a time for leadership now. Not one, not a one-man band, plurality of leadership where people can take responsibility and it can rise to the task. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.